Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's What Would the Smart Party Do? Talking again, as we do every year, about what the Smart Party did. We're back from Dragon Meat. We've managed to survive transport in and out of the big smoke. I'm with my, my old friend Gaz. How you doing, mate? I'm living the dream, Baz. Awesome weekend. Good to see everybody again. The, the widest Smart Party as well, not just me and they, all the uh, some of the old crew as well. And some of the old crew and some of the probationary members managed to <laughs> get into a loose, erratic orbit of our little circle over the years. Yeah, basically, um, every single person listening to this show, I think, probably was at Dragon Meat or knew somebody who was. So we, we shook a lot of hands, embraced a lot of people. Uh, fantastic to catch up, put faces to screen names and vice versa. Yeah, really, really good. And... Um... I guess it's like it's one of those things we mentioned in our sort of previous show that you meet lots of people, but I think again it was that that sort of culmination of people from all up and down the country, wasn't it? And even abroad, uh, and it, it's kind of good to see uh, a different variety of people as well. If you know what I mean, so there's there's guys that I knew from the Savage World Convention earlier in the year that I saw again, and then there's the OSR crowd. There's a Pathfinder room. It was good to meet some of the podcasters in the podcast zone, which we're at. All kinds of stuff going on actually. Yeah, there was loads of cool people there, actually. You're right, mate. It's got a bit of an international tone to it, um, which I guess is not surprising because our hobby kind of feels very American sometimes. But um, but one of the things that, that really stood out for me, and I think you pointed it out at the end, actually, was, was just how many homegrown UK people was at this con. That shouldn't be surprising, given that it's based in London, I guess. But it was still, yeah, looking back, we spoke to an awful lot of Brits who ran the gamut from like fans to publishers to to you know excited convention goers to people who didn't come to this sort of thing very often at all but the UK seems to be like bubbling away and like every corner of the UK was represented wasn't it yeah pretty much because uh, we had Ian down from Scotland as well the giant brain um, as he's called who started his own blog up um, and this guy I knew down from like this right in the southwest he doesn't get out very often uh, and then, you know, everybody that in between those two poles and, and beyond, probably. I think one of the things about Dragon Meat is because it's got such a good central location, it, it means that it can be a bit of a hub. I mean, it is quite expensive for the stopover and stuff, I guess, is the problem. That's something that me and the guys were talking about maybe for next year is perhaps get a hotel for a night. But um, that's not really cheap. But even so, even given you know where it is and the expense, you still get a good variety of people there. So that's that's good. Um Almost a shame it can't be a bit longer due to the location, but the location gives it the footfall, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess we're getting into it now, but the, the question is, you know, we did our preview show ooh, only a week ago. Seems like longer ago than that. But um, did Dragon Meat live up to expectations? I guess we're going to talk about uh, some of the highlights, of which there were many mm. uh, on a personal level this year, um, and highlights for the hobby as well, I think, just generally speaking. Um, and any kind of, like, you know, little niggles which perhaps we can try and get those ironed out for future years because no such thing as a perfect con um, and uh, I think you know the organisers of Dragon Meat know that and it's quite a quite an unruly beast to try and tame every year given <laughs> given the time of year given the location just given the fact it's a convention I mean you know the people who put their efforts into these things are heroes as far as I'm concerned um, but yeah I think it'd be good to talk about our highlights and lowlights guys so did it live up to your expectations? Yeah it did I think one of the um, the big improvements this year for me, based on the previous year I went, which was um, at a different venue, so I didn't come last year, um, was there was a lot, they seemed a lot more spacious. There was a lot more room around. I remember that the previous hotel where it was, I seem to remember it being pretty um, jammed in, certainly around the trade hall bit and stuff like that. Like, there wasn't a lot of room to move around. 
uh, and you like constantly get nudged by a backpack or two, and, and the game rooms were a little bit small. Whereas uh, this time, there's like quite an airy uh, sort of feel to it. Um, early on, I ran a, a game for the, the guys. They wanted to try out Tales from the Loop, and I couldn't, or they couldn't get into something else. So I offered to run that. I just run that for a couple of hours. But there was that open gaming area, so I could just you know drop my bags and, and run a game there quite happily. There's plenty of room around us, and, and nobody was trying to chivvy us along and move us out of the way or anything. Um, and same for the trade hall, actually. I think we went down a few times, popping in and out, but it didn't feel like it was overwhelmed with people, certainly when games were on. There's still um, plenty of space, and, and so I think maybe the signage could be a little bit better. It seemed odd being on those two different floors with a floor in between, and it could perhaps do with a little bit more outside just to point us in the right direction. I ended up bumping into Mike Mason, who's having a, a crafty sig outside, um, and he pointed me the way in. But, uh, you know, apart from a couple of signs and stuff like that, I think generally the feel of the, the, the venue is good this time. Yeah, yeah, agree with that, mate. Um, um, we spent the vast majority of the day together just sort of patrolling the place, really, didn't we? So mm. I think the difference with this year over some previous ones is we were kind of there in a semi-pro aspect because uh, we were in on a press pass. Uh, I think, you know, we should probably say that, you know, <laughs> all due consideration. They didn't make us pay to go in. Um, so, you know, we were certainly, uh, it wasn't even an obligation. We wanted to go and speak to as many people as we could at Dragon Me and find out what was going on so that we could report back on it. So, you know, that's what we do. Um, and that meant that my personal checklist of things I normally get done at Dragon Me didn't really get checked off very much. <laughs> but that certainly wasn't due to lack of anything to do. So I didn't see a single seminar. Uh, which is rare for me because that's that's one of the things I like to do most. Um, I did play, uh, I did run a game. So I ran Blades in the Dark uh, at Last Knockins. Um, so there was some evening gaming going on there. Um, I didn't sign up for anybody else's game either. Um, it's been interesting to see people's responses and reactions to the way that RPGs are handled at Dragon Meat. I know it's always a thorny issue, um, but I do I do share your opinion on on. The spacing, guys. I thought they they learned from last year. I was at last year where it was busy, busy, busy. It was nicely spaced out. I bumped into John Dodd, um, who runs the show essentially um, on the day, and he was telling me he had fifteen hundred people in the trade hall at one point, and that was with the organised gaming going on, which would have taken another say five hundred people. So there was room for more, and we were both as we were chatting about the spaciousness of the aisles. Um, some people went by in their wheelchairs, so you know, <laughs> which was simply could never have happened in previous Dragon Meets. Not easily for those guys at all. So, you know, that's a massive, massive victory um, that, that the place has literally become a little bit more accessible. However, oh my word, they, they not make it very easy to find Dragon Meet from getting out of the tube station and trying to find the Novotel. I mean, I know people have got smartphones, but you know, most places you can afford to get someone to put up a couple of signs or something on the outside of the hotel. And the hotel itself, well, it's a hotel. They've got an awful lot of things happening in their hotel on the same day. So I'm not saying it's an exclusive or anything, but it is almost like you have to get into the tradesman's lift to find your way to a floor and that you would stumble across Dragon Me. Um, and that's that just seemed a bit weird. Um, but once you knew where stuff was, you couldn't complain. It wasn't that hard to get around. You could move between the trade hall, you could move between the other rooms and... I think that the spacing between the rooms was pretty good. And from what I hear, if you were sitting down playing games, you weren't elbow to elbow or climbing over each other, which has unfortunately happened in previous years. And I know that's been something they've been looking to fix, and it looks like it was fixed. So, you know, props to those guys. 
Yeah, and I think that just comes down to a bit of signage, isn't it? Is the improvement there, or a couple of people in cosplay pointing the way with a little banner or something? I think that's quite quite doable. I'm sure that could be sorted out. Um, and yeah, I use the smartphone. In fact, well, I used the, I used my smartphone for a little bit, and then I noticed a bunch of people who had like Superman bags and things like that using a smartphone bubbling about. I thought I'll just follow these guys, save my battery. <laughs> that worked out quite well. I just followed the geeks to the convention. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably the easiest way of doing it. And, and a big props actually to um, you know John Dub we've mentioned, but also the other Modifius guys, Tracy, who's one of the stalwart volunteers. Because uh, the queue wasn't that bad for me either. I don't know about you this time, but that all seemed to move really well this time through. I had no problems getting my um, my pass or whatever, uh, and they all seemed to be like quite clued up on giving people help and hints and helping people through. So I know again going back years now, but there have been like some some quite large queues and, and delays getting in. But this time round for me anyway, it seemed like quite a smooth transition. Yes, and I had a message from uh, the organisers a couple of days beforehand. I think it went out to everybody on the mailing list saying we've done really well on advance tickets this year, so it might be tough to get in. There might be some queuing. It's good to get advance notice of that. Um, so I went a little bit later, and you know, public transport certainly isn't the dragon meat organisers' fault, but no. I managed to get in with no trouble at all. Uh, unfortunately, I, I did get some reports that it was quite tricky to get to the initial role play slot which we flagged up before we went, didn't we? The timing was has been moved over last year to give people a better chance at hitting the trade hall between one and three, which is a great idea in theory, but it meant that you had to be very early to get the games, and it isn't necessarily easy to get to anything in central London for dawn. And you know, people, generally speaking, are not going to be staying in hotels the night before on a Friday night. So I think there were some... Well, they're not even teething issues. I've, I've seen some reports of people being you know, genuinely upset not being able to get a game in the morning or or the way that it was handled. I didn't see it myself, but enough people that I respect have told me it was it was a it was a tough gig for the volunteers and for the guys trying to get a game. That that sounds like a note of concern. Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is to that. I've, I've said a few things myself as well. Someone else was asking on one of the G Plus communities earlier on, and the only thing I can come up with which might work. It needs a little bit of some elite skills to the technological bit, but it's getting an app sorted out so that you can mm-hmm. you can open up a certain time and then no matter where you are on a bus, train, in the car, at the venue, around the corner, in a Starbucks, whatever, you can sort of sign on electronically at a certain point and try and get yourselves in games or something like that. That only fit that, and then that can have the details of who your gym is and what room it's in, and a little map and other things. You know, I have them for conferences. Anyway, I'm going to the, an Oracle user group conference tomorrow, and that's the similar sort of thing where you, you can kind of plan in your uh, your conferences that you want to go to, your lectures, and then it tells you which hall it's in and has a map attached and stuff like that. So if you could get someone who could set up the framework for that, I think individual conventions could easily sort of apply their own. In fact, I'm pretty sure Expo tried something last year. So if that ends up being refined and useful, then because John... Dard works for both Expo and Dragomy. It might be something they can put across. And if you've got an electronic-based thing, that might just make it a bit more egalitarian and, and and stop people having to like cram into a game board and try and like you know elbow the people out of the way or just that crush of people. And it stops a little bit of the having to shout out about whose games where and and that sort of thing. You can just like log electronically that you're in the game or whatever and know where to go without having to do it all manually in the old pen and paper way we've done for years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it is worth noting that, you know, Dragon Meat is is an RPG convention, or it certainly looks like it. And I think RPGs are they're, they're the one area of the convention that, that leave a little bit of a bitter taste in some people's mouths, and it has been for a few years now. There is 
And it, no convention ever gets this completely right because you literally cannot please everybody. And, and mm. anyone who's organised any convention from small to big knows that it is impossible to get a sign-up or a mustering system that appeals to everyone. And you'll know this better than anyone, guys. You go to more conventions than most, and I don't think any two do it the same. That's right. Because everybody's trying stuff every year. And so I appreciate that massively. But what I would say is that it does seem to be very much a solved problem when it comes to organised play. Those guys have got it down. Um, If you like playing organised play and you're into Pathfinder, you just don't have these issues because they've got Warhorn, they are organised, they communicate, etc. And I think Dragon Meat, it's it's kind of like a running gag now in the hobby community. But the communication to the GMs prior to the event is... It's not as good as the GMs want it to be, generally speaking. And the communication to people who want to play in their games, who've come a long way and paid some money. Don't forget, customers, right? So, you know, 12 quid to get into Dragon Meat on the day. That's not nothing. Um, It is sometimes not as clear-cut as it should be or could be. And if there's one thing role players are good at, it's getting organised. So it's difficult to find volunteers. I massively appreciate all the work that the volunteers do do already. But I think this really does need to be looked at. So many other things have been solved. Every year it gets better and better and better. This feels like Dragon Meat of the past. And I think that needs to get better. And I think people are working on it. I know they are. But we do need to learn every year instead of, you know, otherwise next November we'll be looking at people going, does anybody know what's going on with Dragon Meat? I'm trying to find it on the website and it says it's an Earl's Court. (laughs) That's not right. Yeah, I think the communications could get better. I think that's the one thing. Um, I'll certainly, um, I'll ping the guys Maybe not this year. Maybe I'll give the drug and meat good and, and great a chance to relax now they've pulled off this big convention and, and leave it a couple of months. But um, I'll certainly have a chat with them about any ideas I've got and perhaps other people will do the same. But it's that kind of communication level up front might well help people get a bit more comfort around what's going on. Certainly new gems who've not been there before. I think that's one of the things I noticed about our preparing for drug and meat podcast. I wasn't quite sure how many people would like it, but we did get quite a lot of response from that and people appreciated the sort mm. of heads up. So it's definitely worth uh, as a development opportunity, as we call them at work, getting a bit more comms out for drug and meat. We'll, we'll see what we can do about that. Even if it involves helping the organizers with a bit of a, a community base. I know there's people like Simon Burley does a lot of stuff for RPGs. These days, and he, he's, he's like quite, vocal about things so if we can find some more volunteers like that to actually do the communication bit it's just a matter of um, tying the two up and getting that out and I think as I've mentioned already the open gaming area was good that I could run a game when I couldn't find anything else to do and the, the guys wanted one and you got the games on demand which again could do a little bit of finessing they did great work all volunteer gems just a little bit of signage and a little bit more clear organisation there will, will improve that and that will happen I'm sure so perhaps what one of the options is it needs just more of that sort of space where people can just rock up and game and getting volunteer gems to do that. So could even be worth sort of staggering some other gems or seeding them in in between the slots. So two hours after the first game, you kind of have another tranche of games that start then. So it means a lot of a lap. Mm-hmm. But for people who've had trouble, you know, getting there because they live far away or they've had transport issues or, you know, they couldn't get in on time for one reason or another, it might mean that once some people are already stuck in games, you've kind of got, then a second wave where you can get some more people who've been wandering around and already had a look around the trade hall and stuff, get them in some games as well. And if you stagger it a little bit, that might help. The trouble is, of course, then you need twice the room because you're only going to have games running for a bunch of tables. Like, where do you sure. put the new ones and that kind of thing? So there's always going to be a problem, whatever solution you come up with. But maybe something like that might might just help alleviate a little bit. Yeah, I think so. 
and you know what you know everybody's people are pretty charitable at the end of the day and it is a bit like going to your best mate's wedding everybody wants it to succeed so i think communication would cure a lot of these ills even if that communication is guys it's not going to the plan that we thought it was going to be we're going to have to do some moving or this is going to have to change or this now can't happen communication's everything you know, anyone who's been stuck on a train that's not moved down the track for 20 minutes knows that if someone says we're not going anywhere for 30 minutes, that's better <laughs> than waiting for 30 minutes with nobody saying anything. Yeah. And it's the same result at the end of the day, yeah. but it just keeps you happier. And and what you want from anything like this, because it is a showcase for the UK hobby, massively so, is you want the reports afterwards to be about the quality of the games that you bought, that you played, that you designed, that you talked about. And that's absolutely the case at Dragon Meat, but you don't want it to get drowned out by people talking about how they couldn't get into a game or that the game they played was run by someone who was just, you know, showed up three hours late or whatever and nobody said anything or couldn't find the, the floor, let alone the room that they were playing in. And unfortunately, there is still too much of that about. So without wanting to be too negative, lots that can be done. Don't Certainly don't have all the answers, but I think it is worth flagging up early Let's get these things nailed while it's fresh in the mind because, you know, sometimes Dragon Meat can be a bit like, we, we referred to it as our Glastonbury <laughs> um, the week before we went. And, and like Glastonbury, Glastonbury can be a very, very uncomfortable experience, but you forget about it afterwards because you had such a good time while you were there and you forgot about how much the ticket cost and how difficult it was to get there and all of those. You've still got to remember that, that, that these things need to be need to be chipped away at and improved every year like they have been doing over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. So we've done a little bit of a, a development opportunities there. It's probably worth talking about some of the good stuff, isn't it? Really? I'm, I'm the same as you. I had Correct. planned to go to seminars, but I distinctly remember we, we'd gone to the bar just for a pint to have a pause in our activities, having spoken to some people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, I really want to go to that. I really want to go to that Ian Livingstone seminar. When does that start? And you looked at your watch and went 50 minutes ago. And it was like, oh, rubbish. <laughs> Um, but that, that's the other thing about the day, I think, because there's plenty going on, uh, it does actually whistle by as well. So, uh, niggles aside, I think there's enough to just go and like gander at for at least an hour or two and going around the trade hall and speaking to some people behind the counters and, and other people that you just bump into at the bar or wherever else that can take up some time as well. So like half your day probably goes just on the, that, like you say, that, that kind of co- not convention feel, festival feel of just being around and, and the stuff mm-hmm. going on. Without necessarily actively doing stuff, sometimes, uh, and I think it was it was really good. I mean, I don't know whether new people will find this or not, but from our point of view, I think that networking thing where we found like a couple of guys who knew about OSR, and then the next thing you know, they've pointed it as a guy who's just released a book for uh, one of the you know his own OSR product, who just happened to be stood in the queue waiting to get a burger at the bar and that kind of thing. So, um, just a bit of speaking to people and showing a bit of. Um, proactive you know questioning and asking about uh, really reveals a, a rich variety of people who are just hanging about in dragon meat you can get to speak to hi guys we're here again in dragon meat at the bar trying to find the osr guys we found luke gearing one of the hot new things in british osr how are you luke i'm all right thanks how are you yeah i'm living the dream <laughs> so tell us about your new product what he brought out why is it good uh because you get to die in a swamp uh the record is someone managed to kill their party four hexes in uh, it also includes the words violently shit yourself on the back cover, which is quite good, I think. Very descriptive, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so it's a bit of a hex crawl, is that what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, so um, you kind of end up in this swamp for a various list of reasons that's in the front of the book. Uh, and it's awful, it's full of diseases, there's some cultists who are going to trick you into doing what they want. 
uh, some ruins to check out, and a bunch of sort of folkloric monsters. Um, so there's like one that candle thieves, uh, and they just want your light source. If you give them a candle, they'll go away. Um, there's another one, and if you feed them cheese, they just they leave you alone. But if you didn't know that, then you're gonna have to fight them. So do you think that's a bit of a, a thing with OSR games? It's all a bit weird and wonderful. You kind of have to prod things, try things, and then you'll get on to the next bit. Like you know, when like the candle thing sounds like. I don't know what this is, I'm going to try something. Do you find that players in games want to try weird and wonderful stuff just to see what will happen? Do they pull things into the sticks? Oh, is absolutely, you... yeah, yeah. So, my, my, uh, especially one of my players, even if he knows it's a stupid idea, he will push that damn button every single time. Like, I just want to watch stuff happen. Weird stuff's always great, Luke. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And everyone else is pleading him not to. He's like, nah, I'm doing it. Um, so, yeah, I think it is part of OSR, sort of the experimentation and gameplay and sort of puzzle solving in weird ways. Never just never having a sort of written solution half the time especially in like a dungeon scenario they should just work it out but when I write I try not to have an answer for any given problem because my, if I have an answer the players will just find it I want them to have to work for it so do you find yourself quite forgiving in that sort of sense that if they come up with something cool and interesting you haven't thought of you think yeah that'll work that's fine or are you quite cruel and just kind of like within reason yeah I mean if, if it's impressive and they've obviously thought it through a bit of an effort and I'll be like yeah fair enough it goes uh, but if it's just fucking stupid then they die <laughs> so you try the old tried and tested technique if you've not got much idea but you listen to what the players are talking about what might happen find the weirdest thing and then go yeah that's okay we'll go with that one now oh yeah absolutely <laughs> it's key what <laughs> happens in Thievers Swamp if, uh, if they don't take that kind of proactive approach does stuff come and get them there is a wandering uh, pile of corpses, like a mini army of undead, yeah, yeah. and they move around independently on the hex map. Um, every day they move around, and if they don't start moving and dealing with this problem, if they want to, um, then stuff's going to get ruined. When they get there, it will be destroyed. There won't be any loot, or everyone's dead, so on and so forth. That's brilliant. So we're here at Dragon Meat. There's quite a lot of other public, uh, publications about, other game designers. Is there a thing you've seen that sort of like caught your eye, you fancy a look at? Um, I mean, I've been sat next to the TFP booth, uh, so I picked up uh, some of those that I was missing from the catalogue. Uh, and I had a look around. Some of the new Chaosium, Chaosium stuff looks quite good, looks quite interesting. Uh, so I have to swing by later on, pick some of that up. Cool. And have you yourself got anything else in the pipeline? Are you getting more weird and wonderful ideas down on paper? Um, don't know how much I'm supposed to say, but something involving Cockney burglars. <laughs> so it's an Oliver Twist. <laughs> but horrendous and violent and with a twisted under London. Um, that'll be fun. It'll be fun. And last question, have you ever played Earth Dawn? What the fuck's Earth Dawn? <laughs> That's exactly the answer I would expect from you bloody millennials. <laughs> It's been great to talk to you, Lee. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Have a good one. I was chatting at the end of the day, as we all were, saying like, "How was your day?" to some of our friends, and we had, you know, we had that great conversation with Rich and Ian in the bar, and you know, we, we ended up talking a lot about board games and a lot about miniature games because you know that's what Ian's into. That's his thing as much as anything else, and um, and you know, that's always well represented, and it and it does a really good job of showing off off the hobby. And I think I said at the time, like, yeah, but where was the, where were the role-playing games? Well, you know, I, I need to retract that statement that nobody heard because actually, looking back, there was loads of role-playing at Dragon Meat. When you think about the, the, the companies that represented, well, obviously you've got your Modiphius. It's, it's kind of their gig. Mm. And they've got quite a lot of kit that's out there and available now. You know, they are, they're not a small-time publisher. You've got Cubicle 7. And, uh, and both of those guys had all of their trade wares in the gaming part of the hall. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it was big enough that initially I thought that was the trade hall. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> there's no shortage of books there. And then when you went downstairs, there was Pelgrane, who always just, you know, 
have a flood of books, and they're always good enough to bring over Robin Laws, Ken Height, you know, the guys who write these books, Gareth uh, Ryder Hanrahan, Simon the Publisher, Cat's there. They're all there. Pelgrane turn out in force. And I know that there are people who who save up all year to go mad on Pelgrane stuff mm. uh, because they do good deals. Chaosium, who are, are back again being RPG publishers, uh, very much so with with all the Cthulhu stuff, and you know we 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 caught up with a few people um, from Chaosium. Uh, RuneQuest was in evidence as well. Uh, obviously, Cthulhu, all of their stuff, um, and that's before you get to Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which is now uh, got a stall that looks it looks like the Pelgrane stall. It looks like the Modifia stall. It looks better than those in some ways. There there are more nice things to to browse through and people to chat to behind that store than there are behind you know behind anything else and the only thing it's missing and i don't suppose it's a surprise is you've not got your fantasy flight games or your paizo or your wizards of the coast because they're the americans right um do we miss them not really, not really no i think I not really <laughs> no <laughs> in the <laughs> no. nicest possible way and and perhaps <laughs> Yeah, p- perhaps it would be good to see them, but they just don't do that, and they don't do a lot in the in the states now. Wizards don't anyway. So you know what? It was UK, and the place was brimming with books, and that's before you get to the slightly smaller end of the scale, like our friends are all rolled up, uh, and uh, Paul and Phil and stuff like the Cthulhu hack was flying off the shelves. So yeah, it looked like it was in a pretty good state. It's just that you know, role playing book spines don't look as nice as great big board games. And miniature games, which have got like a bit more visible. Yeah, game. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you need the you need the frontage, don't you? Definitely. And and it was good, sort of catching up with. Um, we caught up with Davy Black, who we've been trying to for a little while, and uh, Chris McDougal, McDowell, McDonald. I'm going to call him all kinds of different things. <laughs> you get the guy right into the ad. <laughs> He'll love us for that. We'll get an extra dollar on Patreon just you watch. Um, yes, yeah, so, but we caught up with those two guys. Um, uh, sort of one randomly, and the other. Even more randomly, in that we were talking to the first one, the second one just wandered up and we carried on the conversation. We rolled rolled a D six on the wandering uh, OSR alumni, and uh, we rolled a double, so we had to roll <laughs> on again. The same term, same yeah. and a second one appeared. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll release that as a separate cast, so we should sprinkle in some of, some of the bits and pieces we picked up along the way during this cast. But um, yeah, theirs was like the best part of an hour chat, so we'll just upload that all wholesale, and you can have a listen. What else did we see then, guys? So um, one of the highlights for me um, was the chance to play a game. Uh, I ran a game, you ran a game. We had some mates, so hooking up with mates. We don't see them as much as we used to, so I, you know, I'm not at all ashamed that we had some people at our table that we already knew. Really good to roll some funny-shaped dice and to actually play a game. And I think, I think we both went for sort of short, punchy games, some stuff that's been a bit of a highlight of 2017 for us anyway, and it was nice to get those run out before the end of the year, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. And I know the other guys play quite a few um, like pick-up-and-play games and like short-form stuff that's just, you know, uh, part card game, part board game, part, you know, just using meeples and a, a little cloth regular, like at one stage. They had all kinds of stuff they were just picking up and playing, and I saw other people do that in their bars as well. There's plenty of that kind of thing going on where it just feels, it's that environment which feels like a gaming convention where you can bring your own little bits and pieces and just have a bit of a play while you're having a drink or whatever else, and you're with like-minded people, uh, and then you get you know someone like Rita Birch who walked past, who's uh, always on point with a cosplay. So it was a, a Star Trek original series outfit this time around because I think Modifius are big into the uh, the Star Trek license and previously been the Fallout and stuff like that. So yes, and we had there was a big like a guy in the Brotherhood of Steel kind of like 
huge power armor thing wander past at one point as well, which it just all adds to the atmosphere, doesn't it? And it's great to see that kind of stuff mm-hmm. just being soaked up around you. And, you know, there's, there's also like the bring and buy and, um, a cosplay a bit and all kinds of stuff I didn't really get to touch. I only had the briefest of looks at the best of Essen, which was just like a whole roll of tables, which was just demonstrating the, the best games from Essen and things like that. So the, there's tons of stuff just happening that we, we barely got a chance to get our hands on, I think, just because the amount of time we had. You know, Time was flying by. I was particularly a bit upset because one or two people were asking me if I was going to run my tails from the loop again because they really wanted to get in again. But because we had the podcast duties and there was so much else going on as well, I just you know I couldn't afford to run it twice and do anything that we were supposed to be doing, unfortunately. But there's definitely appetite on there, and, and people, if there's, if there's a call out for something we can do as punters for the show, I think it's just... Uh, suggesting people bring stuff that they can run for others because you'll definitely get an audience and always good to see a little bit of a finished presence at uh, dragon meet we caught up with the publisher extraordinaire mr james raggi hi guys again so we're here with james raggi he's uh, got a, a very full soul of all kinds of delights for lamentations of the flame princess and other things how are you doing james i'm doing very well and uh, what have you got for us today? What's your hot sellers? Hot sellers. Well, Veins of the Earth is still selling well. The core rulebook, as always. Plus, we've got all the T-shirts you cannot see. I'm waving my hands, presenting them like this is a video camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can get a photograph of someone in a shirt at some point. There's plenty of them about. So it's, uh, you've been to the me quite a lot. How are you finding it? Is it a good convention for you? Yeah, it's always a good convention. Uh, in most cases, it's bigger sales every year. So hopefully this will not be the exception. And what else have you got in the pipeline that's coming for us in the near future? Near future. Uh, the next new book is going to be uh, Zach Smith's new book, uh, Frostbitten and Mutilated, that should be going to press in January. And the pitch for that one was Viking Amazons of the Metal North. So that's the kind of thing that's going to be. And then, because I can't keep a secret, I have not officially announced it, but this past year we did Vaginas Are Magic as our free RPG Day book, and I had made a little joke in it that next year I'm going to do Eldritch Cock, and everyone kept asking me about it, so yes, officially, free RPG Day 2018 will be Eldritch Cock, hardcover, full-color giveaway book. And you heard it here first. So you seem to have a, a lot of people who work for you. Do you still have people knocking down your door trying to write books and uh, coming to your stable, or do you have to go out and hunt people, or is it just a steady flow? Ah, uh, well, it, it's a mix of both. I mean, uh, they, and legally they don't work for me. They are freelancers, so let me get that legal note out of the way. <laughs> Much different laws in Finland dealing with those two classes of people. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm always trying to deal with people, and then the people say, oh, I want to write, 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 write. It's like, okay, write, and then they don't, and then that's the way it goes. So, yeah, uh, I've, I've got about two dozen projects in the pipeline right now by various authors and everything. And, yeah, just waiting for the next thing to get done and then bugging the artist. What are you doing? Oh, sorry, I had other jobs. We'll get done on this one. So that's the life of a publisher. James, I noticed you put out a call on the old interwebs recently looking for young authors. How's that going? Uh, I've selected somebody. Uh, we haven't finalized details in the contract and everything, so the announcement hasn't come out. But have selected someone and I'm working that thing out. And the convention here interrupted that. But I think we're going to get that wrapped up early next week. And yeah, and then I can announce that, and everyone's going to go, you weird son of a bitch. Yeah. Are they doing what you wanted, though? They're bringing that kind of revolutionary spirit? Uh, I have no idea. It was just the best pitch. If they can actually write two sentences together, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
So thanks very much for your time. I'm going to try and grab a few other people and get a few words. Good to see you. Okay, thank thanks, you. For, have a good one. So I'm trying to think what else there is that we could have um, we could have done that didn't. I'm not sure we can with the time. I mean, it was good to have the podcast on. I don't know if anybody saw that. Probably, it might seem a little bit odd to people. I don't know. It was on the entrance on the way in, uh, on the left-hand side. In fact, I've heard it called Podcast Alley, which I might suggest is the, the new name for it. But a whole bunch of uh, UK podcasters kind of like got together to to demonstrate their wares. I'd be definitely interested from both our listeners if they've got any ideas on what we could do with that because we are talking to some of the guys about what might happen next year. But it's odd if you've got something that's audio only, how do you present that? Like if you make a fanzine, you can sell some of it or, you know, if you've got a bit of a YouTube thing, you can have it playing on silent in the background or something. But with an audio only podcast, what would you want to see from podcasters? So if anyone's got any ideas, do let us know. But we will be chatting about that and deciding what else we can do to sort of pimp it a little bit more. Certainly some live actual play and things like that we're thinking along the lines of. There was a little bit of it, but we, if we could expand that, that'd probably be good. And it'd help out with that problem of people not being able to get a game as well. So it'd be great if they actually had something, you know, something perhaps to to give to people or to engage people with, because uh, you know, I didn't want to really want to go around sticking microphones in people's faces. Although we did do a, we did a little bit, that. <laughs> um, that was okay. But that was that was they were people who were, you know, you know, they were behind stalls, so we had a captive audience. They couldn't run from us because we looked like punters initially, <laughs> and then like ambushed them with their stealth skills. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy making people and like ran away without buying anything. <laughs> When I was making people force sandwiches down their throats so they could actually speak to us, <laughs> I felt a little bit bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The poor designer of veins of the earth. Is Tell us about your latest book just as he's pushing in the last <laughs> bit of his prep sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks very much. Oh, dear. It was good, mate. It I mean, sounds like you when you were having a bad mic day. Yeah. <laughs> And we managed to saunter past the old Lamentations of the Flame Princess stand where we caught up with Patrick Stewart, author of many a fine role-playing book. It was good to see Patrick there. I am uh, back at Dragon Meat again, and we're here with Patrick Stewart. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing well, thank you. So you've won some Ennies most recently, a silver this year, was it? Uh, we're silver for best writing again, and silver for best monster, both for Veins of the Earth, which is the giant brick-like book I just put out from Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So a lot of the SR and small publishing games I can see up here are quite small, but Veins is quite a big, thick, meaty book. How was it to write something of that volume? Uh, it was uh, challenging, but then I hadn't really written anything else before it, so I didn't know what it was doing, so I just kept writing until I thought it was finished. Which, as it turned out, was too far. I think I went a bit too far with it. If I'd known what I was doing, I would have stopped at some point. <laughs> but um, more is better, I guess, in this kind of stuff. It's had a great reception from everybody anyway. So do you think you'd go that far again, or have you learned a little bit along the way and maybe do something a little bit lighter next time? I've already gone too far again because I've been in the middle of a book called Broken Fire Regime, which swelled to vein size and is now on hiatus because it kind of broke me in two. But I, after, other than that, I have like a book called Silent Titans, which hopefully will be coming out with Christian Kessler, who does amazing layouts, and Dirk Dietwiller-Lecci, who is doing amazing art. So I've just seen his art, and his art's so good that it makes my writing look rubbish. So that's hopefully going to be coming out in the next year, which is going to be thinner. And after that, I'm definitely not doing any more massive books because they have a ruinous effect on any living human being. <laughs> 
I can quite imagine. So it, it seemed that at um, Gen Con, certainly for the Aggies this year, a lot of small press games seem to get awards and we're definitely up there. How does it sort of feel from your point of view as like, almost like cottage industries, if you know what I mean? A lot of people beavering away their own little homes, kind of getting up there and getting the recognition that at one time perhaps Aggies would just be like D&D or Watsy and that kind of stuff. So now there seems a lot more recognition for homegrown games. Do you think that's a thing? Is it going to continue? It absolutely should continue because we keep the quality up. Uh, to be honest, I'm insanely egocentric, both about my own work and about uh, Lamentations work and the OSR in general, so I think we should have got more. And it was mainly stuff from the 80s, like someone doing a second edition of um, uh, Seventh Sea and stuff from Cthulhu. It's like, yeah, we've seen it. We should have won more golds, I think. But hopefully we will again next year. And uh, I think James has got a whole bunch of new things coming out. So I'm sure you'll see a lot of ranting idiots on the main stage next year at the Ennies. But you, were, you showed some great British decorum, I noticed, when you were there. You were the only Americans, or that by, by, just by contrast, you seem to be quite... Only by contrast, really. I think I was in shell shock from the crowds and the intensity at the moment. And if you're standing next to James and Zach, then you look reasonable by default, I think. <laughs> So, are you getting to run any games these days or play anything or is writing moved that to one side uh, I was running something a while ago uh, with like a, a small setting but no I don't run anything right now because I was in like no basically just writing and getting through the day and uh, I might once I've finished up a recent project I might run something again but no I don't know near as much as I used to but I wasn't writing it's a difficult balance, isn't it? You, I guess you get to do some playtesting, and that's the way you kind of wedge your gaming into your life. Is there yeah. any of that, or is it just write it and chuck it out there and see what happens? I'm more on the write it and chuck it out so far, <laughs> but I think I should probably, probably playtest more because I, um, I should probably work on it before, to make sure it works before it hits the, um, hits the shelves. But yeah, basically, writing is like a great job to have, but it's actually a job. And as well as before yeah. when I was doing a job, it was job, 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 then imagination, imagination, imagination. Now it's job and imagination together, and then once you've done that, it's like, what's left? It's, it's, it's so YouTube, what do you do for basically. Fun? <laughs> it's YouTube and running, basically. So does running help you think? I mean, I, I find running boring, but I know Baz does quite a bit of it, but it, does that give you time to kind of get some thoughts in your head as you run, or is it just purely like, I'm just going to go and run and forget about things for a little while? Uh, I very well, a lot of the stuff that I see when I'm running works its way into Silent Titans, because I used to run all the way around the world, so weirdly enough, the blasted post-industrial far future deathscape that you see when you if you buy that book if it comes out will be based on stuff to some extent that I saw in my runs but yeah basically for mental health and just to keep myself straight I need to get out of the house sometimes and I need to get my weight down because I eat terribly I do but don't exercise as much so you two can have a body like mine if you start running let that be a cautionary tale so you've also worked with a great artist on Veins of the Earth. Uh, how, how did you two get together on that? Was it just by accident or through other, other products or what? We met through my blog, I think, uh, through G+. There's like a OSR hipster douchebag community on there of people who are like fancy artist types. She commented on one of the things I was doing. I think when I was doing the original Monsters, she brought them up. And then I said, hey, why don't you do them and we'll do them together? And then after only seismic crushing three or four to five years of brutal, remorseless effort, it finally existed. <laughs> It was simple, really. Sounds like the formation of a diamond. Basically, yeah. I think we did multiple... If you've heard about Deep Calm Observatory and Fire and the Velvet Horizon, those are two significant books that we did in the gaps between doing this one. So this is the first to start, last to finish. And Broken Power Regime, if we ever manage to get it done, we'll have a lot of horizon as well. Bigger, because I find it works better when it's much larger. Like music when it's louder, right? Yes. She has very loud art, so yeah. She's a big page. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for talking to us. We're going to go off and see some other guys, and uh, I'll see more from you soon. It was an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Patrick. Thanks, mate. Really good to talk to you. Thank you.
It did mean we sort of missed out on a couple of people, didn't we? We, could, we couldn't track down Ian Livingstone for, for loving the money. He was too busy signing books and, and running around, I imagine. Uh, and we did see like Ken Height and, a, and Robbie Laws, a couple of others, but they were eating in the bar. And again, and there's only so many people I can interrupt from having a sandwich before even I feel guilty about it. <laughs> and, and let's face it, I don't think those guys need the promotional help that our two loyal listeners will, no. will give them. So, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll be fine without us. <laughs> But you know, poor old uh, poor old Mike at Chaosium definitely needs all the help he can get, right? So I think he he enjoyed his his five minutes with us. Hi guys, here we are again at Dragon Meets with a good friend of the show, Mr. Mike Mason, line developer for Call of Cthulhu. How do you, Mike? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, how are you? Yeah, living the dream. Good to be a dragon meet. So um, here you've got a new exciting book for us. Like I'm a friend of a uh, friend fan even of Deadlands the old game which is kind of like a, a horror western type thing have you got anything like that in the chaos room stable oh, funny you should ask me that Gaz in the stable I like that <laughs> Did you in the stable <laughs> oh, amongst the wild horses I've, uh, yeah we've, we've just brought out Down Darker Trails which is a uh, a Call of Cthulhu setting supplement uh, set in the uh, you know the wild the old west of uh, America uh, it's kind of a uh, I guess you could call it like a sister volume to the old Cthulhu by Gaslight, which tends to be set in London and Europe. This is the uh, you know the American counterpart, set in the uh, Wild West with your your cowboys and the uh, settlers and, uh, and folks uh, heading out uh, on the trail. That's really interesting. I always forget about that because my history is not great. But if you do a globe trotting campaign, which Cthulhu is known for, you go from Gaslight on the other side of the world. It is actually Stetsons and cattle drives and. That's actually happening, isn't it? Yeah, That's their Victorian yeah, period. Exactly that. You've got the kind of like the, the constraints of Victorian kind of society in England where, you know, it's very kind of segregated by class. But you hop a boat over to America and then head out on a trail. And it, it, it is lawless. You know, you're, you're shooting your six guns and, and making, you know, trying to survive. It's a massive contrast, but can be played within. If you wanted to do that kind of like kind of style of campaign, you can. And sticks of dynamite and guns and all the things that everyone tries to get in Europe yep. are actually totally legit, legit. fair play. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, does it play, I mean, how does it play compared to something like Pulp Cthulhu, for example? Is it played more straight? Do you, do you, can you play it either way? Or yeah, what? you can play it either way. I mean, um, it, the, the book is, you know, written kind of straight Call of Cthulhu. However, um, Kevin Ross, who's the author on this, wrote it with very much kind of like a pulp mindset. So whilst it is, you know, you know, have you want to term it, you know, quite purist kind of Call of Cthulhu, um, because it's, as we've just said, the Wild West, stuff like dynamite, guns, having a punch-up, and all the rest of it, it's actually part in, integral to the setting. So it lends itself to port play very easy if you want to take it in that direction. And certainly, um, obviously, within the book, there is a kind of a, a modified character generation system for creating, you know, Wild West characters. And within that, there is a, there is a, a set of... Um, uh, the pulp kind of options for those characters if you actually, actually want to play it as pulp it's written in there as well so you, you, you can use it for both kind of types of play effectively that's cool what else have you got then we've, we've talked about our western games what else is new and exciting in the Cascom uh, line well um, what we've got coming out um, in the next uh, few weeks uh, first of all we've got Reign of Terror which is a um, uh, a two-part scenario uh, set in pre-revolutionary and post well not post but during revolutionary France uh, where, which is a, um, a standalone thing but actually is also can be played as an extension and part of um, the Horror New England Express but equally you can just play it on, on, on its own uh, and so um, it's all very much where you play a bunch of um, French soldiers who are kind of caught up in the events of history and you're kind of playing your role 
through that, uh, navigating your way not only through you know dangerous mobs and causing you know bread shops to get burnt down. Uh, you obviously uh, you know you're involved with the mythos as well and uh, and uh, trying to survive that as well. So it's, that's a lot of fun. That's written by Mark Morrison. Um, and the other book uh, we've got following that's heels is, um, I, I guess, a blast from the past is a, a solo playbook, um, Alone Against the Dark, which uh, came out oh, 30 years or so yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been, um, that's kind of been um, tightened up a little bit and updated for 7th edition uh, and, is, and is, in effect, a, a global campaign for solo play. Um, so uh, you know, if you've uh, if you've uh, lost your gaming group for a week or two and you need something to do, you can sit down for an evening and, and play that, and um, you know, hopefully have a bit of fun. Um, post that, we're on to things like Masks of Nathatep, which is uh, you know a fairly big project, as I'm sure you can agree. Uh-huh. So it seems like there's um, more of a focus on like the global nature of, of what where this game could be set. I think probably I've seen it quite a lot with um, convention games more recently there's been like a sort of like wild geese 1960s Africa British merchants stuff like that do you see the game in more modern times being about people trying to find new and interesting places to set it rather than being the classic 1920s Cthulhu I think yeah I mean I think it, it, it I mean the beauty of the game is that it it, 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 it suits all, all of that and above you know you, where, wherever your interest is as a, uh, as a you know a games master and your players is well, you can, you know, if that's the kind of game you want to play, you can set it. So if you, if you're of that kind of, you know, you want to set stuff in the modern day, you want use of gadgets and phones, and, and that's all cool. Uh, you set it in the modern day. If you've got like a real interest in, um, you know, uh, post, you know, pre-revolutionary Russia, well, there's only, you know, if that's your area of expertise and your interest, then well, you could set it there as well. So I think, you know, what we're trying to do is is to try and embrace the fact that it is a, you can, you know, take it in a number of directions, and obviously each setting kind of gives it its own flavour. Um, and you know, and, and prevent present it like that. You know, and, and we, you know, we don't forget the 1920s. You know, we've, we've released, you know, uh, Doors to Darkness, uh, you know, a while back, which is pretty much all 20 scenarios. We've just uh, we're coming out very soon with uh, we've just in PZF is Sandy Peterson's uh, Peterson's Abominations. They're all modern day, set in a variety of places. Um, so you know, I think you know, we try and you know keep it fresh and try and do it keep keep it out there you know 1920s modern day and revolutionary france you know i think that <laughs> kind of goes to show you know we're, we're up for anything and keep it you know keep it fresh really what i like about the modern day stuff from chaosium as well is that that's a constantly moving feast because like cthulhu modern used to mean 1984 <laughs> which is now a historical period <laughs> absolutely for people. absolutely yeah and it, it's over and it, I mean, I try and make the point when I'm writing modern stuff is just, you know, not to write big essays about how um, how broadband works because that's actually not interesting. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to know that. You just need to know that there's a thing called the internet. You can turn it on and it works. And actually, just actually look at what you know. How does the mechanics adapt to the modern day? How does gameplay adapt? You know, what what happens if you've got a mobile phone? Well, you have a mobile phone. It just, yeah. you know, doesn't. You know, the police might turn up, but then they're probably eaten, and you just lose sanity for getting a load of innocent people. You know, people worry about technology in games, and I, I don't think it's a worry at all. I you think it's use a hook. it. You, just, yeah. you embrace it. You know, yeah, absolutely. It well, you've got to, yeah, and, and it becomes part of the game, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, we've all moved to the stage now where if somebody says "what if," any GM worth their salt says, "you tell me." Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. Besides yeah. which, it's all a ritual. Everyone knows that broadband is. It's a plan. <laughs> it's a plot, <laughs> and eventually someone's going to press a button, and it will constrict. Yeah, and, and it all hardwire into your brains eventually, anyway. So, you know, and the total lumbers. But there you go. But you two having a good day? Yeah, awesome actually. Yeah, it's a nice, 
Dragon Meets, we, we did in our last episode, we did a preview for Dragon Meet, and it feels like the end of the year, everybody's getting into the holiday season, uh, everyone's looking for their Christmas presents. Um, I was going to ask, actually, you know, you, you do Call of Cthulhu professionally, that's your job. What do you do for a break over Christmas? Do you play things with unicorns where everything works out well in the end? I mean, what do you do over the festive period around uh, Casa board, Mason? Uh, board games, really. Uh, I've got um, um, Takanoko, the game where you're, you're a gardener in Japan growing bamboo, and there's a gardener and a, and a panda bear that eat, he eats the pan, he eats the bamboo <laughs> in the garden, and you're trying to grow yours bigger than somebody else. I've got that to play. I've not played it yet. I've got, uh, uh, yeah, I've got some board games. I'm going to give them a go. Have a bit of a break. You know, that's time that's, off the tentacles. Time off the tentacles. That's exactly <laughs> it. So yeah, pan, panda bears, ne- nearly unicorns. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, listen, Mike. Thanks ever so much for talking to us today, and um, many happy returns. Oh well, thanks very much. <laughs> We're resist singing happy birthday. <laughs> Sanity loss guarantee for indeed, that. Indeed. Yeah. No, no yeah. sensible podcast would ever involve singing as one of their you know, yeah. selling points. So who would do that? Yeah, we'll avoid that and try and keep it on the down. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Mike. Oh, and the other thing we did, and this won't be, you know, speaking of audio only. Uh, no longer does your podcast have to be audio only, because I think, unless technology's let us down, um, we've got a couple of videos in the can, <laughs> yeah. which we'll be using at, uh, at the front end of our elaborate web store, or Patreon account, as we like to call it. And um, you can get to see me, <laughs> me and Gaz in a couple of like uh, less than salubrious locations pitching our wares to you uh, in the flesh, which is a terrifying thought. This was all pre-beer, so it was it's fine, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure you, you can expect uh, Netflix original style quality of production or anything like that, but if you want to see Tim Oblox <laughs> sat in a fake forest with bamboo behind them, then, uh, yeah, check out Patreon, because we're going to have a little video up there pretty much, I guess, this week. <laughs> it was like we'd been shrunk and stuck in front of a giant GM screen. <laughs> <laughs> we were like miniatures in Mike Mason's role-playing game. <laughs> and if anyone wants to, uh, you know, print that out and use it for a gem screen, then please send us a picture. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, good times overall at Dragon Meat, mate. You know, as usual, really glad I went. Slightly blue that we didn't get, you know, everything done. I don't think it's possible to get everything Not done. Not humanly possible, mate. Um, so, you know, no. So, you, you get, and, you know, no buyer's remorse. So, I, d- I didn't drop too much money I don't have on things I don't need. So, that's always good. But, my goodness, I could have done. There was plenty of stuff there. There was even there was even physical copies of a Las Vegas. If oh yeah! You've been waiting five or six years for your Kickstarter. It was there, sitting in front of the bravest man in role playing, as James <laughs> Wallace bought his much delayed game to the masses and stuck a price tag on it, and it was actually people were handing him cash. So that that was quite funny. Well done, James. You got there in the end. Good for you. It's given me no end of fun today when people have been posting that their uh, their backers. Kit has turned up to, to really just cut and paste. If you'd been a drug mate, you could have got this earlier. <laughs> I'm sure that's not winding anybody up. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things I would say about drug meat is, all joking aside, uh, there didn't seem to be any fantastic bargains around. It used to be a place I remember back in the day, mate. You used to drive a very hard bargain with traders. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you would go, like, I want both of these books, so, so what can you do me off of those? And I'm not saying that didn't happen anymore. Pelgrane do a very nice, I think it's four for the price of three. That's their perennial deal. It's interesting to see all of the, um, today or yesterday, I think it was, on Bundle of Holding, 
all the Dracula dossier stuff is available at a really, really strong price. Yeah. I don't know if it was at that price last Saturday, which seems a... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to check my sources on that, but that, that seems a little bit cheeky. So, you know... It depends what you're stuck. I think, you know, perhaps traders, pr- traders you do very well out of Dragon Me. I'm sure you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother going. But it'd be nice to see some con exclusives. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, maybe. It's an odd time of year, isn't it? I think certainly the big American companies get this stuff out around the time of Gen Con. So we kind of like halfway around the year now where it's not really you know the, the big releases have sort of happened in August September time so by December you kind of mm. you already got your stock set and people should know what they get for Christmas uh, my favourite thing that we did see that we got a, a view of was uh, Phil and Paul um, over it all rolled up um, uh, they, they'd already got it but they made it they made a decent and, and well deserved trumpet of the fact that they've got the fighting fantasy license Mm. to put some of the Fighting Fantasy classic covers onto their dice trays and, and dice bags. Uh, and that stuff looks great. And the all, the all rolled up stuff has always looked good. And uh, I cannot believe the size of their store these days compared to just a few years ago when it was basically a spinner rack and, and a couple of people looking slightly harassed. Um, but, but you know, literally strength to strength. And uh, they're they're punching weights with the big boys now. Uh, just delighted to see they've got something. So, yeah, if you wanted the cover of Death Trap Dungeon um, in your dice tray, it is now available. And that's a really cool thing to have. So good yeah. for them. And again, you know, another homegrown talent story. Yeah, a blood beast in your dice tray. That's exactly what you want. And it's, it's probably <laughs> worth, worth mentioning that Phil owes us three points now. I'm going to keep mentioning it in podcasts until eventually she buys us some beer. <laughs> and I don't yeah, know who cracked first. all rolled up yet, Phil? Because <laughs> I'm spitting feathers over here. <laughs> Bless them, they are lovely though. Hi guys, we're here live at Dragon Meat, and I've got uh, one of our previous guests, Paul Bodowski, hanging about on his stall. He's eyeing customers warily. How's things going, Paul? It's fine up to now, thank you very much. <laughs> Having a great time at Dragon Meat. Is it, it is. little to expectations? It's, it's really, really busy today. It's impressively busy. Um, so, yeah, it's been going really well. And Phil is here now, actually, just to trouble things. Yeah, I just want to tell you about Paul's new book. Oh, tell us all about it. Yeah, it's called The Wendingo. It's not called The Wendingo. <laughs> it's th- that sounds Christmassy. <laughs> it's The three, Wendingo. Three, it's Three Faces of The Wendigo. Three Adventures for Cthulhu Hack by three separate authors, all taking The Wendigo myth and uh, doing their own spin on it. Ah, sounds really exciting. So have you had to entice authors, or have they come forward out of the woodwork? They have, uh, they, they've come out of the woodwork. So we've got John Almack, who has previously written for uh, Call of Cthulhu and uh, for another Cthulhu band, I think. Uh, and uh, Richard August, who is uh, a tart, who will write for anybody, um, including Modifius, primarily Modifius, I think, actually. But in this case, he was quite happy to, uh, to write uh, some Cthulhu hack as well. Oh, brilliant stuff. So is there anything you've seen on about your travels or have been stuck behind the stall all day? I, 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 my only chance, actually, I went over to Square, Hacks, uh, uh, Square Hex and I picked up a copy of uh, the Mid- Midlands book, I think it was called, uh, which I had my own because they had 10 copies of it. I saw them post about it on Google+. Plus, But otherwise, I have not yet managed to go shopping. And I, I, I probably haven't made enough money yet to go shopping. So. <laughs> So pleased to announce that we've just signed a license with Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston for Fighting Fantasy. So we've just released all the new product today. So oh, that's really exciting! Yeah, we, we did we did broadcast that on our podcast actually oh, just before we came down. Oh, but right, right, right. Okay, then that's real. Awesome. 
indeed. That's right, yes, yeah. That's I'm, I'm impressed, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, also, uh, well, you're not going to hear it now, but we've also got one of the uh, Fight and Fantasy original all rolled up, so we're going to auction off tonight that Ian signed because it was his book, Forest of Doom. Nice. So we're going to do that for charity tonight, so hopefully they'll bring in a bit of money for the... Uh, from the fans who love fighting fantasy. So. Excellent stuff. I might well bid on that myself. Right, yeah, thanks yeah, so much for your time. You have to go and look at it. It's at uh, Ian's table. So uh, well, I'm really pleased to see you guys here. And well, I hope you amazing to see you too, Phil. Yeah. I mean, only a few years ago, your stall was about three feet wide. Yeah, and yeah, you had yeah. a little spinner rack with yeah. a few bits on. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was the size of our table last year. And now we're all the way down there. I so. can barely see the end past guys' selling techniques. Yeah, it's all going yeah, off in the distance. Yeah. He's a new employee of the company, uh, I know. He's uh, now working for All Rolled Up. Not Is he on a zero hours contract? No, no. He's on a zero yeah, talent contract. Yeah. Zero talent contract. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, and as, as always, we, I owe you to a beer, by the way. So. Yeah, I think it's about three now. I keep racking up. Yeah, no, I know. I need to go to the bar and I need to go buy you some beer. But uh, I really want to thank you guys personally for your support because you're fantastic. You, you've just believed in our product and you promote our product and. We love you. Although there were complaints in the last podcast about having perhaps too many now. Uh, I need a bigger house, I think. (laughs) Okay, thanks very much for your time, guys. I'll leave you to this massive queue of customers you've got. Thank you. Bye. Need an all rolled up Twitter, all rolled up to. Yeah, I mean, there was some other weird stuff there. Like there's someone selling, well, I say weird, but it seemed a little bit odd, someone selling candles and things like that. I don't quite know how they fit in. And there were some of the stalls where people had just like a bit of a poster and they're talking about a Kickstarter that they're going to release but didn't have anything yet. And I found that odd at Expo as well. Expo particularly seemed to have like tons of people who were, we haven't got anything to sell you, but we will have in a bit that you can back. So here's like some details of where to go to back it in a few months' time. Uh, and I don't really, that probably takes away a little bit, if you know what I mean. I mean, I don't knock people for doing it. If they want to buy a stand and do that, you know, fair play to them. It's their money and time. Uh, it just feels a little bit of a shame that you're at an event and you haven't got people with stuff at the event, you know, for, for some of the mm. stalls. It feels almost feels like I'm missing out in somewhere that there's not another store I can sort of rifle through with my sticky paws and see what those I might want to buy. Yeah, that's true. That's true, mate. Yeah, that's always been true to an extent, hasn't it? I mean, and, and some of that just comes down to, like, printing schedules and, you know, people wish to have stuff ready for conventions. And I don't know how many times you see publishers being kind of like you know made to promise dates which they probably didn't feel that strong about giving in the first place and there's a reason they don't give those dates is because it's too easy for it to fall through which is why you know years ago we were we, we were so desperate to give money to this poor couple i think it was at gen con back in the day who were touting a game called dark continent yeah. they had the painted miniatures in the display case it looked amazing about exploring darkest africa real pith helmets and spears kind of stuff you know great looking game we said to him, like, you know, well, how much does it cost? And he could tell us that, but he couldn't give us a coffee because it hadn't got in from the printers yet. So they were literally having to run a stall off their own flyers and promo material. Bless them. I hope they didn't lose out too much from that because, you know, the people who go to these cons, we're with some of them, it's true. You kind of want to spend some money on something. It feels weird to come home with an empty bag. Mm. Yeah, you want some kind of souvenirs or things like that, don't you, I think? Tales from the Loop Dice did well, I think, out of just just your group. Yeah, I think I sold three sacks just by myself. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't roll well for Pete, regardless, but then no dice ever do. So I guess, um, I mean, we could wax lyrical for many more hours, but 
to be honest, it'll be just talking about things that we did. And if you weren't there, it won't feel the same. So I probably just want to say a couple of thanks. Well done to, to Callum from the Rollies podcast uh, and all of the colleagues at the podcast zone who did a, a sterling job of manning the stall and uh, trying to pimp the, the wealth, the embarrassment of riches we've got of UK podcasts now. I mean, I don't know why anyone would listen to one that's not ours because ours is best. But if you do have spare time, then obviously look up some of the other guys as well because... Um, they're all just doing it for, for fun, really, for your benefit, uh, as we do, really. It's just to kind of, like, uh, keep the hobby alive a little bit and just chat about games. No one's uh, going to be dining out on this for the rest of their lives or anything, but do show a bit of support if you can to our fellow colleagues. Thanks to uh, John Dodd as well, and, of course, Chris Birch and all the other Modifius guys and all the volunteers at Dragon Meat, because uh, I spoke to Tracy, and I think she got there at 5 a.m. on the day, uh, and as I was leaving to get the last train home, she was still there with a bunch of other guys, uh, hanging around, keeping the things running. So it's a long old day for people there, and a lot of the guys are really just doing it again for the fun of the hobby and helping out. So uh, a big thanks to everybody who, who uh, was any part of the organisation or uh, you know volunteered on the day. Uh, and my thanks go out to anybody who spent any time whatsoever staring into Gazzy's weird Ghostbusters contraption <laughs> that he calls a recording device, because we often didn't give anybody any choice whatsoever. Um, but for those who stuck with us and, and took the time to, to answer our silly questions, um, we've recorded a lot of it. Um, you know, big thanks go out to, to Chris McDonut, uh, and David Black, who, who entertained us massively in the bar for an hour. My poor kidneys were so desperate for a wee at the end of it that I nearly took D6 damage to the abdomen, but it was <laughs> worth it. And, and hopefully, you know, you'll be able to listen in on that and it will feel like you were there too. And just imagine me with crossed legs and beads of sweat running down my forehead. <laughs> the best bit was that you ran up two flights of stairs when there was a bathroom right behind you as well. I didn't have the time to look backwards. It was only forwards, my friend. I had to venture into a new hex. <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, I think that's about it. It's for us, even guys. Uh, as I mentioned, we have got the uh, the black hack and the into the odd guys that we caught in the bar. Well, that's like an hour podcast on its own, so I'll just release that. Probably just a little note to say that it was the first time with a new recording device, and because I'm loud and was holding the thing and it was next to my mouth, and other people were far away and a lot quieter, the sound quality might be a bit up and down. So you might have to adjust your settings. Apologies to that, listeners. As as I get used to it, it'll get better. Uh, but as always, the content is golden. So uh, forgive the sound quality a little bit, and you'll be rewarded. Yeah, I'm only on rhythm guitar, and somehow my input gets turned down by the soundboard every single week in our band. Still, never mind. But listen, thanks again, everybody, for listening to these couple of Dragon Meat shows. More to come. Um, and again, a traditional shout out to our Patreons, who it was an honor to meet some of you in the flesh at Dragon Meat. Thank you so much for dropping us a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, or more. It all goes into the pot, and it does enable us to do stuff like this. Um, and we're extremely grateful for your support. Um, web hosting continues to be the bane of, well, Gaz's <laughs> life. I'm all right. Uh, but, you know, every dollar you send us really makes a difference. So thank you to our patrons, large and small. Uh, may you be an ever-growing crowd. Yeah, thanks to uh, Peter Skeynes. I hope I pronounced your second name right. I noticed you just dropped in at the weekend of Dragon Week and give us a dollar. Uh, and to all sorts of the giant brain who were helping us out. So thanks to our new guys as well as the old. Uh, and also thank you to everybody who came up and gave us kind words about the podcast. We met quite a few people and some of you kindly took time out from your activities just to come over and press the flash and say thanks for what we're doing and keep up the good work. So it's your your fault. We'll carry on doing it. Next, more Earth Dawn. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>